Thanks for tuning in to the September 2022 NASGP Educational Webinar, this month brought to you from NHS Practitioner Health with Dr. Helen Gar, their Medical Director, talking to us about GP burnout and how do we recognise it and what can we do to support it. So without any further ado, I'll let Helen introduce herself and begin the talk. Uh, it lasts around about 45 minutes. Um, we have uh, some Q's and A's at the end, uh, and this is available both as a YouTube video and also on the NASGP, the Art of GP Locoming podcast. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Said my name is Helen Gar. I'm medical director of NHS Practitioner Health, and I am going to tell you a bit more about what that service is at the end. I've just taken over, well, say just taken over over a year ago now from Dame Claire Gerarda, along with Dr. Zaid Al Najjar. So together we are both the new medical directors of NHS Practitioner Health. And we see every every week over 100, 150 doctors come into our service most of whom are showing some signs of burnout amongst other things which is what I'm going to talk to you about today. So I want to start by talking to you about a frog. So I want to share with you a urban myth, a story about a frog and you may have heard this before. If we take a frog and we put that frog into a pot of water on a stove and then gradually and slowly we start to turn up the heat on that pot of water. Now the frog's an amazing creature, it's able to adapt its internal homeostatic mechanisms and every time that water heats up slightly the frog adapts to that increased heat and the heat keeps turning up, the frog keeps adapting, the heat keeps turning up, the frog keeps adapting, till eventually this poor little frog finds itself in a pot of boiling water. Now, this urban myth that you may have heard before, this boiling frog analogy, many of you might identify with. So 20, 30 years ago, things were different in general practice. I remember not even all that long ago, going to my trainer's house at lunchtime when I worked in general practice. We'd go around, we'd have a lovely lunch, his wife would make us dinner. My trainers tell me stories of having proper time off, the days of actually going on the golf course. So we are all frogs in pots of water and the water's been turned up gradually. If we think even just over the past couple of years, Covid, patient expectations, patients expecting a Rolls-Royce service on a Skoda budget, lack of resources, lack of funding, recruitment and retention, losing staff, longer and longer working hours, not being able to give patients the care we want to give them because of time pressures and funding pressures. There'll be things going on in your personal life that's also analogous to turning up that heat on that pot of water. So many of you might now might be feeling like boiling frogs. But this is a good time for me to start by saying often talks about burnout, and you may have been to some before, many of us go to these talks about burnout because we're so desperate for something to help us, often leave us feeling like it's our fault if we are that boiling frog, if we are feeling burnt out or overwhelmed. We're often left feeling if the message is, if only we do a bit more yoga, if only we did a bit more mindfulness, if only we were a bit more resilient, then we would cope. 
So I want to set the record straight right now before we go any further. There is a place for those things in keeping us well and helping us to cope with pressures. But if we all went to work in a job where we had a manageable workload, when we were able to be the doctors we really want to be, when we were able to give time and care to our patients, when we had the resources to do that, when we felt respected and supported, if we were able to go to work and not worry about having a parking space or having to pay for parking, if we were able to take a decent lunch break and eat nutritious food and have time and energy left over at the end of the day to look after ourselves, to exercise, to spend time with our family and friends, to do the things that bring us joy, then we would not have any need for talks on burnout. So we can be often left feeling that this is a you problem. The problem is with the individual. Well, let me tell you right now, it is not. Every single one of you is resilient. Every single one of you, your track record for overcoming adversity is 100%. You have coped with every single thing that life has thrown at you until this very second. It is the system that is causing burnout. And I'd go as far to actually say we're recording this, so I need to be careful, but I would go as far to say that actually burnout is an, in, an industrial disease. It is caused by the system. So I don't, I, I really want to get that message clear that if you are feeling overwhelmed, struggling, burning out, this is not your fault. It is the system within that you are working. So you're all locums. I would postulate that actually, and from what I see at Practitioner Health, you are probably more at risk of burning out as a locum. So we often hear people say, oh, locums, um, you know, they have so much autonomy. You have so much autonomy over your, over your working time, your hours. And of course, we know that having autonomy is a really important factor in preventing burnout. However, that's only one tiny piece of the jigsaw. Some of you might have heard us chatting at the beginning of the talk and Richard um, mentioned that often we know people go and become locums to try and have a, a quick exit from difficult situations. So that you may have been experiencing bullying, gaslighting were two words that we said. You may have been feeling bur burnt out. So often already your situations have been difficult. So autonomy is one tiny piece of the picture, but actually as a locum, you have these financial ties. You don't get the sick pay that you'd get. You don't have the certainty of workload. And look what happened in COVID. Work dried up for many locums. Shifts were cancelled. The rug was pulled up from underneath many of you. So that certainty of job stability isn't there. You're not able to simply reduce your hours or take time off, which may seem an obvious answer if you're burning out, because you have these financial ties, this financial millstone. But one of the key features that I would suggest being a locum puts you at risk of burnout is being the locum. Your loss of identity, how often do you hear that? You go to a surgery and you are simply seen as the locum. Doctors who tell me they've got 20, 30 years of experience as partners or salaried doctors who then go and become a locum, it feels that all that experience is wiped. People perceive the locum often as having less clinical expertise, not being worthy of being invited to coffee or chat or even having a name. 
So that sense of isolation is a real key factor in causing burnout. We know that even for doctors who work in, in a stable workplace, so doctors who are salaried or, or partners, can certainly feel isolated. I know when I was working full time as a GP, I worked in a really large practice, there were 20 doctors, yet I could go days and days without speaking to another colleague. Didn't have time to go for coffee. And we know that, that um, that's, that's absolutely magnified as a locum. People don't often think to include you or even to find out your name. And this may be resonating with people. So if it does, I, I would really like to pick this up when we, when we finish at the end for questions. So many of you may feel like you're drowning right now. You may feel like that boiling frog. But often we don't take the time to stop and recognise how we're doing. So we're very, very good in the NHS as doctors, just going, 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 going until we crash and not stopping and taking time to check in and see how we're doing. Think, actually, I'm drowning here. What do I need to do about this? We just keep going and going and going because there's all these expectations on us that there's shame around admitting we might be struggling. We're doctors, we don't get on well. We're doctors, we don't ask for help. We keep going, we should be able to do this all of us, all ourselves. So I want to start by getting you to think about checking in with yourself. Now, ordinarily, if we were doing this on a platform I knew how to work, so if we were doing this on Zoom, I would present this as an anonymous poll. But I want you just to check in with yourself now and think, how am I doing right now? So over the last couple of weeks, where am I sitting on this continuum? Am I in the green? Am I sitting in the middle? Am I in the red? Now, when I do this as an anonymous poll, and I do this with huge groups of doctors, there's not many people, if any, that are sitting in the green at the moment. Lots of people are sitting in the red. And if you are sitting in the red, it's helpful to know that you're not alone. If you are sitting in the red, it's really worth thinking about, when was I last towards the left-hand side? When was I last towards the green? And when I was there, what was different? What was I doing differently? What was different about my situation? What do I need to do to move myself back towards the green? If you are sitting in the green, brilliant, well done. Take note, think about, well, what am I doing that's got me here? What do I need to keep doing in order to stay here, sitting on the, on the green side of the continuum? So now I've got you to have a think about where you're sitting on that continuum. I want to talk about some of the signs of burnout. So the signs of burnout are not always obvious. And like I say, we often keep going and going and going until we crash. Often the doctors we see that come into practitioner health only come when things have hit such a rock bottom that they don't know where else to turn. Whereas actually the time to seek help is often earlier on before you reach, reach that point. So insidious signs of burnout, feeling tired all the time, not being able to sleep, headaches, aches and pains, lack of interest at work and home, lacking motivation. Conversely, always thinking about work. That doctor that's getting in earlier and earlier every day, staying later and later every day taking longer and longer to make decisions, 
niggles from patients, complaints creeping up, becoming irritable with your colleagues, becoming irritable with your family, your friends, becoming irritable with yourself. I knew it was time for me to try and make some changes when I made one of our receptionists cry. She'd knocked at the door um, on a busy duty day and said, there's another home visit. And I absolutely lost it because here was somebody else giving me more work, putting more work on my plate that I just did not have the bandwidth for. And I was, another home visit, how dare they, as if they think I'm going to go out and do this home visit, how do they think I've got time for this? And I made our receptionist cry. It wasn't her fault. And I'm absolutely horrified and shameful about how I reacted. And actually, that wasn't me. That wasn't best me. That was worse me. And that was a sign that I needed to make some changes and was heading towards burnout cynicism and depersonalization so when we see patients not as humans not as people but it's the respiratory tract infection the uti when we stop caring about our patients when we're cynical about things real big red flags for burnout and you might recognize some of these in yourself and in your colleagues and it's really worth looking out for these and then there's hidden signs of burnout careless mistakes losing your car keys turning up from the for the wrong shift turning up at the wrong place forgetting to pick your kids up from school that might only just be me but i've definitely done that once brain fog ideas drying up the opposite to flow where you're just struggling to make decisions feeling as if you're always failing feeling as if you can't do anything right spread so thinly taking everything personally and feeling in inequalities for me that's one of my key signs I know when it's time to make some changes when I start to look at other people's workload and I start to look at how many patients they've got and I why well, have they blocked that out what are they doing there why have they got a double appointment there why have they got five less patients than I've got so I now cover up other people's screens I don't look but I know for me that's one of my red flags feeling exhausted despite sleeping, bad habits, we're gonna come on to that in a moment. And then the biggest red flag for burnout, compassion drain, when we stop caring. And we would be lying if we all don't admit to having times where we are annoyed at patients coming in when we just don't care anymore. If you think back to times when you've perhaps just finished on your leave or things are going well and your workload's manageable, how different we are, how, how much more compassionate we are and empathetic because we have the emotional bandwidth in order to do that. So it's worth just taking note of some of these signs and see if you recognise this in yourself or in others and having a think about as this talk goes on what you might do about it. So I do want to touch on unhelpful coping behaviours. This is one of the key signs of burnout. It's human nature to go for the instant gratification when times are tough. So to have that glass of wine after work, rather than going to the gym or, or going for a walk or meeting friends, people often take up smoking, drinking more than we would like, exercising less than we would like self-medicating we see a lot of practitioner health doctors who self-medicate to try and cope with the overwhelming stresses of the job so codeine is a commonly abused drug 
amongst doctors, sleeping tablets, recreational drugs, very, very common affairs, infidelity, not talked about, but really, really common when people are burning out. So if you recognize this in yourself, and actually this is normal human behavior to go for the easy win to feel better. And it's really, really easy for these un unhelpful coping behaviors to um, become overwhelming and to start to interfere with our lives. Um, it's worth just thinking about, do you need to get some support with that? And I'll talk about practitioner health at the end. So I want to introduce you to this funnel of exhaustion concept. This is, um, Mary Asperg came up with this, and this was first introduced in the gold standard textbook, Mindfulness, Finding Peace in a Frantic World. And Mary Asperg talks about um, things that we need to do to stay well. And you will all have your own ideas, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that in the next couple of slides. But I've given some examples here of common things that doctors tell us are important in order to stay well. So time for yourself, reading, time with your family and friends, fun, hobbies, exercise, good sleep, eating well, and of course work. Work's really important for our well-being. But what happens? when work starts to become all-consuming, overwhelming, burning us out. Well, the very things we identify as vital for us to stay well are the first things we stop doing. So we stop sleeping well, we stop eating well, we miss lunch, we eat at our desk, we eat junk food, chocolate, we start drinking, we stop spending time with family and friends because we are so exhausted at the end of the day. And in fact, that's one of the key features when we look at burnout inventories is how long does it take you to recover from work? And if you do a shift at work and then it takes you two days to recover, you can't get off the sofa. That's a real key sign of burnout. If you're not able to do the things you enjoy when you're outside of work because you're so exhausted, it's worth thinking about, do I need to seek help? So we stop doing the very things we need to do to stay well. We stop eating well, sleeping well, spending time with family and friends. We stop exercising. The things that we should absolutely prioritise continuing to do when work is difficult are the things we stop doing. So that all we are left with is work. And this funnel of exhaustion spits us out into a messy heap, messy burnt out heap on the floor and I think it's quite a useful um, metaphor to think about because it really is true um, we do stop doing these key things that keep us well so I want to take you back to this webs this continuum that we talked about earlier and hopefully you've taken note of where you're sitting on there at the moment. Now this is taken from a website, I've put the web address at the bottom here, which was written by doctors and funded by, partially funded by NHS England. It is a fantastic website that gives you ideas of things that you can do to move yourself into the green, depending on how much time you've got, whether you've got three minutes, 30 minutes or three hours. Um, it gives you suggestions and it gives you ideas of um, how to look after yourself. It's a really great website and I suggest you all have a look at it. It's a good resource. 
And it also gives ideas for a well-being plan. So a wrap plan is an evidence-based tool originally used in psychiatry to help people as a well-being recovery action plan. But actually, this has moved its way into mainstream now. So in the corporate sector, most people are getting their employees to complete a wellbeing plan. I spoke with MPs in the House of Lords once and the MPs are all completing these wellbeing plans. I'm trying to get our staff to think about NHS practitioner health to think about completing their own wellbeing plan. So a, a wellbeing recovery action plan, a wellbeing plan essentially gets you to write down and think about the things you need to do to stay well. The things you need to avoid doing to stay well. Things that you know used to help that you are no longer doing. So interestingly, I hope Kamal doesn't mind me um, mentioning him, but we had a chat at the beginning and Kamal's got this afternoon off and he said he, he used to go to the gym and he's got a gym membership. Um, he said, I really want to get back to doing that. So it gets us to think about what used to help that I'm not doing anymore. So when I used to be in the green, what was I doing? Or what things do I know would help, but I'm not doing right now? So for me, I know if I stop scrolling through my phone for an hour when I wake up in the morning on Facebook and Instagram and perhaps did went for a run or sat in the garden for half an hour, or even read a book, I, that would help me stay well far better um, than scrolling through my phone. And who am I when I'm at my best? What do I need to do every day? to stay well. Well, I know that I need to take a lunch break every day to stay well. When we write down these things, it sets our intention and we are more likely to do it. I put these two questions in the middle because I like them. Um, and actually we ask these in our one-to-ones with our staff at Practitioner Health. How can we get the best from you? And what would we do that would bring out the worst in you? So if you're leading teams or working with other people, they're really useful questions. So you might want to think about writing out your own well-being plan and you can put this in your appraisal is it appraisers love this stuff because actually it shows and demonstrates in a tangible manner what we're doing about our well-being if you simply put into google well-being plan pdf there are loads out there but i really like these ones from mind and i really like this one from barnell barnett enfield and harringay there's actually a really good crisis version as well and these are really good for our patients as well. So I have a whole pile of them on my desk that I hand out to patients and say, I want you to fill this in and take it away. And the crisis versions are excellent. So coming back to checking in, we talked about checking in with ourselves, but actually thinking about checking in with our colleagues. And we touched on, didn't we, at the beginning, that sense of isolation and loss of identity as locums. Well, we know that for, for doctors, one of the most important things we can do to strengthen well-being and protect against psychological distress is strengthening social bonds and strengthening bonds within teams. In the corporate sector, when organisations look at engagement in their employees and look at happiness, because this is a big thing now in the corporate sector, and um, people employing happiness officers to make sure their staff are happy, the key question they ask is do you have a friend at work because we know having a friend at work is so important for well-being and for engagement and for not burning out and that can be really really difficult as a locum um, 
maintaining friendships or developing relationships and connections at work and that's something to think about and um, perhaps we could talk about it at the end strategies for how you can do that now certainly NASGP hopefully you all know about it they offer chambers and chambers light which is chaired groups that can offer peer support networks and that is key to staying well talking to other people, sharing experiences. And we talk a lot about um, reaching out for help. And I am going to talk about reaching out for help. But we also want to change the, the culture within the NHS to get people to think about reaching in. So checking in on each other, check in on your colleagues. How are you? I've noticed you've been a bit quiet today. I noticed you haven't come out of your room all day. I noticed you seemed a little bit stressed or a little bit down. I noticed you didn't come for coffee. How are you? When you ask that question, you'll get the answer, I'm fine. How are you really? How are you feeling? Well, I'm glad you're fine because actually I'm finding a little bit stressful. We know that when doctors are asked how they are and they're checked in with from a colleague, they are far more likely to seek support. I've seen doctors who've come to practitioner health who've told me that they've gone to work planning how to end their life. Doctors always finish their shift first, they always turn up to work and they have clearly not been themselves and nobody has checked in on them and nobody has asked how they are. Doctors who've told me they've gone to work with abdominal pain, that they were quite certain as appendicitis, really unwell, finished their shift, took themselves off to A&E at the end of their shift to have their appendix out. Nobody's asked how they are. Doctors tell me they go and they, they are miscarrying at their desks. Nobody asks how they are. So checking in on each other is hugely powerful and that can probably feel difficult as a locum if we don't have those, those team connections, but it's important to bear in mind. When did somebody last ask how you are? If it was recently, remember how powerful that was. If it hasn't been recently, when did you last ask somebody else how they are? hugely important that we check in on each other. Professor Neil Greenberg, who's done a lot of work around this area, he, they've looked at a study on soldiers in Afghanistan and soldiers who had a immediate line manager who they felt cared about them and checked in on them had one tenth of the poor mental health problems compared to soldiers who felt their line manager didn't care about them. That demonstrates the power of these social connections and checking in. So I'm conscious of time. I'm, I'm probably going to give us a little bit less time for questions, probably 10 minutes for questions, because I do want to just touch on this work life balance um, idea. I know that um, some of you may have come today hoping to hear about this. This is a whole workshop in itself. So I'm just going to give a really brief overview on work life balance. And it's certainly something um, not many of us feel we, we have, particularly at the moment. So I'm going to give you my five ways to work life balance. So you may have heard of the five ways to well-being, which is connect, learn, be active, be mindful and give. And um, again, that's a whole other talk. So fantastic. Look up the ways to well-being if you haven't come across that. Lots of evidence-based ideas to stay well. I'm going to give you my five ways to work life balance. So number one, 
work-life balance is a myth so if we hold on to the idea of we will work for eight hours we will sleep for eight hours and we will have eight hours of life we are going to be disappointed how many of us last worked for eight hours how many of us last slept for eight hours so work-life blend is a better way to look at things i think key to this is trying to find some joy in our work if work is miserable if work is something to be endured then we need to ask ourselves what are we achieving here we all came into medicine with a purpose we all came in full of hope and full of enthusiasm and energy how do we get some of that back and finding small ways to bring joy into work is hugely important and it might be as simple as saying hello to a colleague having a lovely cup of coffee really relishing a good interaction with a patient gratitude writing down things that have gone well in that day writing down when a patient said you're a great doctor i wish you were here all the time i wish you were my doctor taking a plant and putting it on your desk um, going for a walk at lunchtime, really, really tiny things. And again, this is a whole other workshop on finding joy at work. Um, but finding purpose and joy in our work and not having work that is just something to be endured, however small, is hugely important. Number two what is important to you so when i run workshops on work-life balance and we talk about actually well why are we here why do we want work-life balance what is important most people will say what is important is relationships time with having more time and quality time with the people that are important to me so identifying who and what is important to you allows you to then be clear about how you do want to spend your time when you're not at work. And if we are spending all of our time when we're not at work, working or thinking about work, then actually we are never gonna have a work-life balance. So it's only possible to shift that balance when we start to identify what is actually important to us. And for me, it's things I love outdoor swimming, running, spending time with my children, watching my children play football and netball, spending time with my dog and my husband and being outdoors. That's what's important to me. And once I was able to identify that, I was then able to focus and spend my energies outside of work on doing some of those things rather than just lying on the sofa, recovering or answering emails or keeping up with my appraisal. And that leads me into number three, show up. So we are not going to have a full eight hours outside of work regularly. But what is important is when we've identified what's important to us, we then spend the time we do have, quality time, on the things that matter. So show up and be present. If we only have two or three hours of life balance and in that two and three hours we're not focusing and being present on the things that are important to us if we're standing on the side of the football pitch watching our children play football sending emails and i have been that person then there is no balance so learning to be present and show up and be present and be the person you want to be for the people you are with that be yourself your dog your children 
is hugely important. There's a fantastic TED talk on this. It's by Adam Foster, and I can send the resources out at the end. Um, and he talks about the third space, and he talks about giving yourself time after work to reflect, to decompress, and to show up and be present to be the person you want to be outside of work. Again, that's a whole other talk. Number four, fill your tank. So if work is depleting your tank, then work out what you need to do to fill it back up. The website I mentioned earlier, thewellbeinganddoing.net is a great resource for that. But I often tell people to write down 10 things that nourish you, 10 small things. And that might be as, as little as going outside and looking at the clouds lighting a candle, bringing a plant into the room, buying a bunch of flowers, going for a walk, watching a film. But write down 10 things that nourish you, that fill up your tank and consciously do them. But it's important we have small things that are manageable. And when we're exhausted, it can be really, really difficult. I talk about um, one of my talks that I give, I have a wonderful slide of a crocus growing through concrete and I say this is a really resilient flower this crocus it's growing where it shouldn't be flowers are supposed to grow in nutritious soil with sunshine and water and this flower is growing through concrete and working in the end can feel like a flower trying to thrive and grow in concrete so I use that metaphor to tell people to think about where you where you plant yourself outside of work what we do outside of work is more important than what we do in work because that is what fills up our tank and gives us the energy to be the doctors we want to be. So think about what's your nourishing soil, what's your sunshine, and think about how you can also do that within the working day. And then finally, last couple of minutes, get support. If you are thinking, gosh, she's telling me to do these things and I can't possibly even consider doing that I'm so exhausted it's time to think about getting help no man is an island there is a, a school of thought that burnout runs on a continuum that ends in anxiety depression trauma and in fact lots of the things that we've been through as doctors particularly through covid and things that we see day to day that we just take as normal and we expect to just crack on with lay people would see as absolutely traumatic events and would be seeking support for this yet we expect this is part of the job we expect just to cope and carry on so think about seeking support and there's various different ways to do this and i want to talk a bit about practitioner health now so there's there's strength not shame in seeking support. The doctors who come to us at practitioner health do not come because they're weak. They come because they are strong. And they know that seeking support is the best way to get better and to find joy and purpose again in our lives and in our jobs. So before I go on to practitioner health for a couple of minutes, I do want you all to know about this amazing resource funded by NHS England. If you don't already know about it, it's free confidential coaching for all primary care staff. It is fantastic. They're using external coaches. These external coaches cost hundreds of pounds an hour and it is free. I've used it. 
Um, and in fact, I've used it twice. It's fantastic. And if you were working in a high level job in the corporate sector, you would be expected to have coaching as part of your job. I don't know how long this offer will be around for. So I really, really encourage you to take this offer up. Um, it's not even just for doctors who are struggling. It's for doctors who want to thrive, to grow, to improve. They offer career coaching, they offer individual coaching and they can offer team coaching as well. So if you haven't taken it up, sign up today. It is a absolutely fantastic offer, not on commission. It's just brilliant. And then the last minute, I just want to tell you about practitioner health. Hopefully you've heard of us, but if you haven't, let me just run through who we are and what we do. We are a primary care-led mental health addiction treatment service. We are run by GP psychiatrists, mental health nurses, and we are experts in working at the interface between the regulator, the workforce and your mental health. We understand the challenges. We get it. We are all doctors and our aim is to support, to love, to listen and help retain um, the workforce to be the best they can be. This is a number of things that we can do. So we, we can prescribe, we can write sick notes, we offer inpatient rehabilitation, groups, well-being resources, but most importantly, we get it, we listen, we love. How often can you get that from a service? So who's it open to? Well, every single doctor and dentist of any grade, of any speciality in England, all regulated health and social care staff in Scotland, and actually everybody else um, outside of those areas can still access us via one of the 40 local wellbeing and resilience hubs that are across the country. What can you expect? Well, every single person that comes to us can expect absolute confidentiality, which is so important. My husband could come into this service if he was a doctor and I wouldn't know he was here. Everybody gets a initial assessment. Some people go on to get more in depth, detailed assessments, case management, therapies. Let me talk you through how this works. So case, if you go on to have case management, you will have your own allocated doctor who is yours until you are better. So, Lots of our doctors go on to have individualised therapy. We have a very short waiting list for this. We offer CBT, EMDR, um, interpersonal therapy, brief intervention, psychotherapy. We offer group therapy. If there is a group need, we offer it. These are just some of the groups that we offer at the moment. So emotional challenges of work group, groups for doctors who are suspended, groups for doctors with addiction, doctors with long COVID, um, that's affecting their mental health. We have a neurodiversity support group. We have groups for leaders. We have groups for doctors who have children with medical needs. We're about to set up groups for international medical graduates, for doctors experiencing bullying, for doctors who've experienced baby loss and infertility, and many, many more. We have a, an addiction service. So if you are suffering with an addiction and you need help, you can come to us in confidence. And we have three inpatient rehabilitation facilities. We have a whole host of resources on our website. I'm going to whiz through, but I'm conscious I could literally do a whole week's 
talk on burnout. We've literally skimmed the surface here, but we've got a, a couple more webinars on our website that's free for everybody to watch. This is a particularly fantastic one beating burnout with Sarah Goulding, but there's tons and tons more on there. This is one that I did in COVID with Rachel Morris, who incidentally has a fantastic podcast called You Are Not a Frog, um, which was born out of this idea of the boiling frog that we spoke about at the beginning. This was um, this webinar was born out of COVID, but it's very, very relevant today about how to take a nutritious break. Um, we have an app that's available to everybody that comes into our service to help support your well-being. A reminder that there's some fantastic free offers through NHS England. So Headspace particularly is still available and free to all NHS staff. And I'm just with past, but just how do you access us via our website? Big button that says access us here. But if you prefer to call us um, or email us, our number is there. I'm going to leave that on the screen. And now I have really gone over. I do apologize, but we have got five minutes now for questions and discussion. But I'm going to leave this on the screen just for a couple of minutes so everyone can see. And then I'm going to hand over to Ellie to let me know if there's any questions. Lovely. Oh, Helen, that was so great. Thank you very much. Um, we've got time for a couple of quick fire questions before we wrap up because we want to make sure you we, we wrap up on time for you guys. Um, has anything come up while we were talking? You can shout out, put it in chat. Kamal, go for it. I'm just going to turn your microphones on. There we go, Kamal. Yeah, I just had a question. I guess with with a lot of burnout and, you know, people, you know, admitting that they're burning out or, you know, wanting to seek help. One of the concerns I guess we have is will the official bodies find out about it? Will GMC find out about it? Will they will it be kind of reflected as, you know, like something negative on you? You know, I, I, I don't if you hear that from people that you see. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that is entirely why our service exists. So we know that doctors will not go and seek help through the usual channels, often because they are worried about things such as that. Um, and not least, often, you know, the GPs, that, you know, you might have been sitting in a CCG meeting with them or a meeting like this. It's very difficult to go. We have memorandums of understanding with all of the regulators, including the GMC. So essentially, if you are under our care and you are seeking appropriate treatment and you are, um, it's not affecting your patient care, they absolutely do not need to know about this. There are certain cases where the regulator may need to know, and that's often around um, particularly in cases of addiction if there's been criminal offences. And if that is the case, then we will support you to let the regulator know in the best way possible. But it is actually really quite rare because we have this memorandum of understanding. But if you come with us with burnout seeking support, there's no real reason at all why the GMC would want to know about that at all. Um, if you're seeking help, that's exactly what they ask for. And the doctors that come to practitioner health, they get better and they get better quickly. So I hope that reassures you, Kamal, we, we are, we confidentiality is the cornerstone of our service and we've worked really really hard with the GMC to to make sure we have this memorandum of understanding to allow us to offer the support that doctors need without that worry of the regulator becoming involved 
Thank you. Thanks, Helen. Yeah, thanks, Kamal, for the question. That was a really good Great question, question, essential for everybody here. Yeah. Emma, did you have a question as well? I noticed your hand raised. Let's see if I can see. Sorry. Uh, no, I didn't. I pressed the wrong button. Sorry. Apologies. <laughs> That's OK. Cool. <laughs> well, OK. I think if there's no more questions, um, obviously NASGP couldn't wouldn't do this talk without plugging that we do offer peer support we have a, a network of chambers including in places where I think some of our attendees are from like uh, Cumbria Lancashire uh, Essex Surrey uh, and Berkshire um, yeah well, the talk was absolutely fantastic Helen like really packed loads of practical help in there yeah thank you everybody for coming along really good Helen that was really wonderful to hear that um thank you everybody for coming along it's, it's without without your support we can't do these sorts of things so it's great to have you here um and um we've got an email coming out our usual Monday morning email coming out which will have details of the October event um same time same place and um great see you all next time thank you very much Thank you, and thank you for all that you do. Thank you.